Hebrews chapter 8, if you're not already there. Uh, man, got some good stuff for you this morning. I want to begin with those sermon notes, if you will. You'll see there's a little text box up at the beginning, and, and this is kind of just outlining where we're headed. This is what we're talking about today, the third proof as to why we can live out these, uh, these instructions here in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll see it on the screen, uh, simply see it on the screen. You'll see it on the screen. There you go. All right, Cody, I love you. Wake up. I'm right here. Uh, um, it, it simply said, it says, We have been divinely enabled to fulfill the Sermon on the Mount because of the New Covenant. Because of the New Covenant. That's our topic today. And you say, well, uh, Pastor, what, what exactly is a covenant? I mean, we're going to talk about the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. And while the New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant, we, we should probably define what on earth a covenant is. I mean, let's be honest. I was not raised in church. I don't know if you were. I got saved like 16 years ago, okay? So I, I was 20 when that happened. Um, and and I, when we say churchy things, they freak me out sometimes. I don't fully understand them. And so like a covenant, what is that? What is that about? And so this morning, I want to define that for you, okay? So here's a basic definition. A covenant really is just a dynamic relationship between two or more parties, okay? Uh, two or more persons that involves commitment and obligation. Those are the two important aspects. It involves commitment and obligation. And, and when we look at covenants, there are really only three types of covenants that we find in our world and, and in the Bible, okay? The first type of covenant is called a suzerainty uh, covenant. And uh, some would pronounce it suzerainty, but suzerainty, I believe, is the way you actually uh, pronounce it. And here's what that is, okay? It basically uh, means that there are two parties of unequal power. And, and the party that has the most power defines the parameters of the relationship, and they basically tell the terms to the party that doesn't have any power, okay? If you have a mortgage right now, you are in this kind of covenant with your bank, okay? You went to a bank, you said, hey, I found a house, I really like this house, I want to build this house, I need you to help me finance this house, okay? Because they had the money, and you didn't have any money, and so you went to them, and they looked at your credit, and they said, oh, sure, we'll finance that house, but we're going to give you 6.3% interest, Okay? And then when you come pay that annually or monthly or whatever they do, you know, you're paying for three houses, whatever they go. And if you miss a payment or two or three or six or ten, of course, they then own your house. And it, it, they get to do that because they have all the power in the relationship, okay? Now, there are a lot of other examples we can give, but that's a real easy one for us, okay? Now, the second type of covenant is called a, a parity covenant. And what that means is that there's equal parties that enter into that relationship. If they, they agree upon the terms amongst themselves, and they voluntarily enter into a relationship with one another. Now, friendships fall under this category, okay? You kind of meet somebody, you get to know them, and, you know, if you want to be BFFs, you just say, okay, now listen, here's the rules, all right? Okay? You can never date me, any guy I like, and you can never date any guy I like, okay? And we won't lie to each other, talk behind each other's back. And if we do, we will defend each other on Facebook and brand pictures of one another. Okay? All right? High school girls, college, you've been through that. You understand what that's like. Okay. Um, you know, it could be worse. And I will flatten your tire. Whatever. I mean, I, I've seen, seen that happen. So, um, all right, so that's parody. Uh, great friendships, marriages. That we, we voluntarily enter into these things. We agree upon what we're going to do to death do us part. And, you know, that means that if I leave you, you can kill me. By the way, men, that's what that means. Right? You, you find that we're having a marriage retreat. You should probably come to it because you said to death do us part. And if you leave, she can shoot you. Okay? I'm pretty sure that's biblically what that means. You can argue. I'm just saying. You said it. I didn't say You said it. Um, I said it too, but that's a whole other thing. Okay. Uh, third type, third type is, 
nature and covenant. Now, those first two types of covenants, those are the covenants we see most in our world today. Okay, those first two, the suzanity and the parity. But this third covenant is the one that we find the most in the Bible. And here's what's unique about it. In this covenant, the, the party that has all the power decides to obligate himself to the one that has none. Do you see it? See, that's a huge difference. That the party that has all the power decides to obligate himself to the one that can't provide, that has no means, that has no ability. This is what God has done for us. God said, listen, you don't have the power to save yourself. You don't have the ability to make yourself right. You don't have any way to, to, to be a righteous individual, but I have power and I'm going to obligate myself to you. That's the covenant we see. Now you think, for instance, about Abraham, when, when he was Abram, and God says to him, listen, old man, you're going to have a son. All right? Anybody feel old here? Anybody feel old? I, I feel old, and I'm, I'm 36, okay? I played soccer with the kids the other day, and I was limping for, for, for a couple days. I was like, what is going on with this right here? I don't know what's going on. Talk to John Earl, back's hurting, right? I mean, I mean, it, it, it stinks to get old, right? I couldn't help it, man. I'm saving it for the second service. Okay, so, so, uh, so <laughs> I'm gonna pay for that later. Uh, um, it, it, <laughs> okay, we're good. We're good. <laughs> so Abraham is this old guy, and God shows up to the old man and says, "Hey, old man, guess what? You're having a kid." And he's like, because not only am I old, but so is my wife. Okay, uh, maybe it's not this service, but I was going to throw that out there. Uh, so, so he said, listen, that can't be possible. God says, no, Abraham, I tell you, look at the stars in the heaven. Your descendants are going to be as many as these. And he says, but beyond that, even more than that, you see this beautiful land. I'm going to give this to your inheritance. They're going to have this great promised land. And so Abraham says to God, he says, listen, God, not that I don't trust you, and not that I don't believe that you're God, but you've got to give me some kind of sign. Okay? Like, like really, because I'm old. I don't believe that I can really have a kid. And so God says, I listen, I want you to go get some animals, and you cut them in half. And so he cuts them in half, and he lays the carcasses on both sides. And, and when it gets dark, all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears, and a smoking firepot, a torch, walk through these things, walk through these, these dead animals. And here's the significance. What God says to Abraham, what God says to Abraham basically is this. Listen, if I don't fulfill this promise to you, may I be like these dead animals that I'm walking through. May I be that way if I don't keep up to my end of the bargain. God obligated himself to Abraham, just like he obligates himself to us. Now, that's not to say that we get to choose and say, God, who are you and how are you? And how, you know, I mean, the, the God, you think about creation, the God who tells the, 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 the sun where to go and the stars where to go and the sea, it can only come this far. But God says, I obligate myself to you. I'll be the payment. I'll be the payment. Okay, that's what he's saying. That's a, that's a big deal. So those are the three types of covenants. Now, when we, um, when we get into covenants, we start talking about covenants. There's really two big ones. There's an old one and a new one. So let, let's just discuss those very briefly. Uh, Exodus 19.4, if, if you have your Bible and you want to crack that open. Um, Exodus 19.4, uh, God is speaking through Moses. And I, I don't know, I actually start in verse 3. God calls him up onto the mountain, if I can turn there. Um, and it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and he said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. 
You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. You will be my treasured possession. Here's a summary on the screen. This is basically the old covenant. If you obey me fully, you will be my chosen people. That's a summary of the old, the old covenant. God says, if you obey me fully, you will be my chosen people if you obey me fully. I want you to notice those words. That's really, 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 really important. Now, the new covenant. And again, you can turn to Jeremiah 31, 31, or you can go to Hebrews 8, where we're going to quote Jeremiah 31, 31. Okay? The new covenant. It says this. God speaking says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and I led them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. Notice who was not faithful. They were. Notice who had to keep the covenant. They did. They didn't do very well. So God says, I'm making a new covenant, okay? Uh, it says, uh, because they didn't remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but those sound like two very different things to me. Let's summarize the new covenant. God says, I, God says, I will change you from the inside out. The old covenant was about what you had to do. It's about the righteousness that you had to maintain. But the new covenant, God says, I will change you from the inside out. I will put my laws in your hearts and on your minds. I will do it, God says. That's a huge deal. Now, that's, a, that's a massive difference, friends. This is what we talked about. Remember last week, we took the Lord's Supper together. We took communion together. And, and, and we talked about Jesus being in the upper room with his disciples. And, and then after he'd washed his feet, he shares a meal with them. And he breaks the bread. And he says, this, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And then they share that glass of wine. And he says, this is the bread of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. That's significant. I want you to see this. A covenant, friends, was always cut. In fact, it wasn't to make a covenant. The actual phrasing is to cut a covenant. A covenant always involves sacrifice. It always involves blood. The book of Hebrews would say, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so Jesus, get this, just as God showed with Abraham, Jesus says, it's my blood. It's my blood that's payment for this covenant. It's my blood. I'm the payment. I'm the payment. I'm obligated, he says. And that's a huge deal. So that's, that's, the, that's the old covenant versus the new covenant. Now here's what Scripture says about this. Scripture would tell us here in Hebrews that this new covenant is far superior to the old one. Let's read it together. Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Starting in verse 1. The author writes, The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts
gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were an act, he would not be a priest, for there are many men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Say the tabernacle, basically. The temple that was built, that was just a copy of what is in heaven. It wasn't the real tabernacle. Says this is why Moses warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you in the mountain. But the ministry of Jesus uh, has received is superior to theirs, and the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. And he said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That will not be like the old covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Verse 13, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. I want to give you four reasons the new covenant is far superior to the old, okay? Here's number one. This new covenant is a better covenant because it depends on the grace of God. This new covenant is better than the old one because this new one depends upon the grace of God. Exodus chapter 19, I'm going to go back to where that old covenant was initiated. God said to the Israelites now in Exodus 19, 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Here's their response in in verse 8. They said, the people all responded together, We will, we will do everything that the Lord has said. We will. Why was God upset with Israel? Why did he make a new covenant? Because they didn't keep the first one, God says. God says, they didn't. I want you to see the burden of the responsibility of the old covenant was always upon the people. That was the burden of the old covenant. Its laws and its righteousness were always the people's responsibility. It was all that you had to do. But I want you to hear the new covenant. I want you to hear where the responsibility arose in the new covenant, Hebrews 8. The, the phrasing is, is found six times in the original language. God says, I will. I will make a new covenant. He says, I will make uh, this with the house of Israel. He says, I will put my laws on their minds. I will write my laws on their hearts. I will be their God. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Who bears the responsibility of the new covenant? God does. God does. Do you see the massive difference in that? The, 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 the huge difference in that, that Jesus bears the responsibility, that Jesus bears the load of our sin. Can you feel the weight lifted off him? Maybe you know when Jesus says, listen, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. For me, burden is easy and my yoke is light. And you say, well, compared to what? Compared to this, brother. Compared to this. He says, my covenant is easy and my, my yoke is light. I'm bearing the weight of the old covenant. Jesus did that for us. The new covenant is far better because it's all about the grace of God. The old was about man's faithfulness to God. The new covenant is all about God's faithful promise to man. 
you should write that down somewhere. It's important. It'll affect you. Number two, the new covenant is better because it provides power for internal change. It provides power for internal change. Now, the old covenant, all it did was declare God's standards. It declared God's standards. It declared God's mark for righteousness. But get this, it never provided the power to live out that righteousness. It, It was very clear. Love the Lord your God. Have no other gods. Make no idols. Right? Do, do, do not kill. Do not covet. Do not steal. It was very clear, but it provided no power to live out that righteousness described. But the new covenant. Oh, the new covenant. The new covenant. God writes His law in our hearts. He gives us a new heart. He makes us new. We're born again of the Spirit. And that spirit is a spirit of power. God says, I didn't give you a, a spirit of timidity or fear, but I've given you a spirit of power. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. See, when, under this new covenant, we've literally been empowered by God. When the Holy Spirit of God comes into our life, we receive power to be righteous. And I know that this is the amazing thing that happens. Instead of trying to keep some exterior law, God, by making us new and, 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 and we're born again, through His Spirit comes into us and we're made a new creature, and His law is automatically written on our hearts. And so what happens is what Paul writes about in Galatians 4. He says, so I say to you, live by the Spirit, and you will automatically avoid the sins of the flesh. For the Spirit opposes what the flesh opposes. Automatically, it's part of new birth. When we receive the Spirit of God, we receive power to be righteous. And God's Spirit living in us is the one that provides us the ability to be good, to be love, to be joy, to be peace, to be patient, to be kind. It's a big deal. Number three. The new covenant is better because it provides lasting forgiveness. It's better because it provides lasting forgiveness. Turn with me to Romans 3.20 if you don't mind for a second. I want to show you what the law was meant to do. If you've ever read about what was the purpose of, of the law, I'll show you Romans 3.20. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. No one. You, you can underline that. You can underline your Bible. It's okay. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we became, what? Conscious of sin. You know, what was the purpose of the law? law? To make you aware of sin. That was the point. It was to show you you were a sinner. That's the point of the law, to show you where, where you fall short. It was never meant to provide forgiveness. And then, and then, and then you have the new covenant. Hebrews 8.12. Hebrews 8.12, and this is what God says about His new covenant He's established through Christ. He says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And I want you to understand the gravity of this, of this quote right here because this is a big deal. Because God does something that only God can do. You see, God, can God really forget, friends? Can God really have a senior moment? God can't misplace his keys or he wouldn't be God, all right? You follow me? God, God can't just have a senior moment and suddenly, oh, what well, was that that Jason did last right? I just can't seem to remember. I think it might be, I don't know. Janice, what do you think? I don't know who. I just told you that you were going to tell something. I mean, God can't have those moments where he's not God. God, God in being God, has 
sins. What he's saying is, I will no longer hold those sins against them. You no longer hold them against them. And this is huge. I love what Warren Wiersbe says here. He says this. He says, God deals with us on the basis of grace, not on the basis of merit. So in this new covenant, God chooses to deal with us on the basis of grace, not on the basis of merit. Meaning that I don't have to stand before God with my own resume, but I get to stand before God with Christ's perfect resume. That I've been covered by His grace and I get to say, listen God, I'm a wretch, but your son is perfect. That's huge. That's the better covenant. That's the better covenant. That's the far better covenant, friends. I can't imagine having to stand before God with my resume. You know what I'm saying? I know I'm the only sinner here. I know that you guys, I know that you guys have been perfected saints. But I'm just telling you, in my current state of affairs, with my current resume, I can't imagine having to stand before God. I can't imagine having to stand before God and, 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 and be accountable for all that I've done in that sense. I can't imagine my salvation being based upon that. But praise God, I don't have to. When I stand before God, my salvation is not based upon my merit. It is based upon His grace. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Whew! You get me started. Ah! Whew. Number four. I don't have, I have my notes. I gave them away. Are we on number four? Ah! Number four. The new covenant is better. It is better. Because it will last forever. It will last forever. Look at Hebrews 8.13 for a second. It says, By calling this covenant new, he made uh, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Do you know what happened in AD 70? Not AD 70. AD 70. You know what happened in AD 70? The temple was destroyed. No more priests offering up sacrifices. The temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. It's destroyed completely. The symbol of the Old Covenant and everything with it was done away with completely. But you know what our promise is in Christ? An everlasting covenant. That, 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 that forevermore we will not be judged by our merit, but will be judged by His grace forevermore. This is an, an eternal covenant, an eternal blessing. You think about John 3.16. Whosoever believes in me will not perish but receive what can I Eternal life. This is a covenant that lasts forever. Amen. Amen. Can you, 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 you know what I hate when you buy a vehicle? Anybody here ever bought a vehicle, right? I, I, don't buy, I don't buy new. Maybe you people are those new car buyers. I buy the used one, right? And I, buy, I try to buy a used one that has a warranty on it still. And then I can be like, yeah, I see that because I'm getting the best of both worlds. But you know how this tends to happen? Right when you're, it's like the manufacturers know what they're doing. They build a car and they say, I'm going to give you a five-year warranty, but I promise your alternator, air conditioner, and, uh, and, and, and fuel pump are going out in year six. You know what I'm saying? And right when the warranty's on, everything breaks loose. But you know what? Here's the great thing about this new covenant. You don't have to worry about it expiring. Amen? You don't have to worry about it expiring. It lasts forever. Now let me tell you what this means for us and we'll be done. Number one, it means that we've been saved by grace. That's 
what it means. It means we are saved by the grace of God. That's what it means. It means that you're not saved by works. I preached a funeral last Wednesday, and, and, and at that funeral, I just got to stand there before a lot of people, and a lot of those people were able to tell you, and I had some time afterwards, Pastor, I haven't been to church in a long time. And I got to stand up before those people and say, you know what? Here's the problem. Religion doesn't save. It never has. Religion's never saved anybody. Religion is a list of exterior rules. That's what what the old covenant was about. It's just a list of exterior things that you try to do to make yourself better on the outside so that people may think that you're a better person. But guess what? You don't stand before people on the day of judgment. You stand before a holy God who is the measure of good. And you have to stand before that God and see whether or not you're good. And the Bible says none of us are not. And so, so religion, what you do on the outside, doesn't save you. What we need is a new birth, and that's not religion, friends. That's just the will of God. And so when we receive Christ, we're born again, and we have a new spirit, and we stand before God as a new creation, not as an old creation. Therefore, I'm not religious, and I don't care about the exterior. I need to focus on the interior. Now, here's the deal. Some of you just heard that, and you say, okay, that's awesome. I don't have to go do any good works. Wrong. Because here's the truth of it. When you're born again and the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, then at that moment you're created to do good works in Christ Jesus, which He prepared in advance for you to do, Ephesians 2 10. And, and, and therefore, at that moment, you can now produce good fruit. You couldn't produce good fruit before. You thought it was good fruit, but it tasted really crummy, I promise. But now you can produce good fruit, everlasting fruit in Christ Jesus. This is what happens to you. And so, so listen, this is huge for us. If you believe in Christ Jesus, if you serve Him as Lord, you've been born again, and you are saved by grace, not by merit. Hear me. Maybe you walk through the doors this morning, and, 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 and you are that person that you just feel like a failure. You feel like you're fine, and you can't get up from you can. And I'll tell you, listen, just because you fail doesn't make you a failure. If you stay there, then you're a failure, okay? Okay? But by, by the blood of Jesus and the grace of God... You've been saved by grace, not by your own works. And God will finish the work that He's put in you. I promise. I promise. It's a big deal. That brings me to number two. I want you to write this down. This is huge. God will complete the work He began in us. And you might even strike us and just write me. God will complete the work He began in me. If you're born again and the Spirit of God has come to live inside of your heart, then you are under the new covenant. And the new covenant, it's not about what you do. It's about what God does. He says, I will, 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 I'm only halfway through this life, and, and, and here I am, and I just don't think I'm ever going to be a saint. Brother, hear me. I'm alone. You can't be, but through Christ, you can be. And He will finish the work He started in you. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. So take courage, my friend. Take hope. Don't let today's troubles ruin tomorrow's glory. God is not finished with you. He will perfect the work that He has started. So here's some application, and we're done, done. I promise. Un momento, por favor. That's about as much Spanish as I know. 
Application number one. I want to challenge you to focus on your relationship with Jesus instead of religious rituals. Religion doesn't save. Religion doesn't empower. But somebody says, but I, 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 I read the New Testament. I'm going to read. I've read the Sermon on the Mount. It declares that I need to be righteous. That I need to be holy as God is holy. I need to be perfect. It says it right there. Yes, it does. But how do you be perfect? Not by running off and following a set of rules on your own and by yourself. That doesn't make you perfect. Here's how you do it. You sit at the feet of Jesus. You, you, you sit at the feet of Jesus. You focus on your relationship with, with Jesus is what you do. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you'll be transformed into His image. you remember what they said about the original disciples? They said, those guys are idiots. That's what they said. That's my translation. They said, those guys aren't educated men. They're not scholars. They're in the hearing and proclaiming the goodness of God. And then they took an out. Oh, but they've been with Jesus. Then <laughs> you know what the world means? They need less theologians and more people that have been with Jesus. They need less people that have checked everything off the list and more people that have just sat at the feet of Jesus. And I promise, the more that you do that, the more that fruit will be produced in your life. Because He's the source, not us. You remain in me and my words remain in you. You'll bear much fruit. Remain in Him, man. Remain in Him. Number two. Last application. Remember that you're forgiven. And remember that you are forgiven. That, that it's not about merit, but it's about grace. Remember that you're forgiven. And somebody would say what, what people said to Paul. Wait a second, Paul. Aren't you, aren't you preaching some kind of grace gospel where, where, where it doesn't matter what you do in life? No, friend, that's not what I'm preaching. And I said, when you've really received grace, you understand grace. And that doesn't make you want to sin more. It makes you want to sin less. That's the way that it works. I, I, I share this with the early science. I'm not, I'm, I read a lot of theological books. I read a lot of books about God. That's part of what I do. Um, when I get home, I don't always want to read. And so I'm just trying to expand my horizons. And I've just recently started reading, like, all great fiction books, you know. Um, you, you know, things like The Adventure of Sherlock Holmes. And, uh, you know, I just finished Robinson Crusoe yesterday. And, and, and I, I shared with them, you know, there's a scene in Robinson Crusoe that is a portrait of what true forgiveness is. Okay? And, and here's the portrait. How many of you have read it or, or remember it from school ages ago? Anybody? Okay, so Crusoe's shipwrecked on the island. No man lives on the island. He's there 15 years. And then finally he understands there's some savages that are coming to the island and they're cannibals. And, and, and so, so finally he sees it and understands it and he cannot by himself. He can't do anything. And so he's been praying. He, he finds a Bible. He, he, he enters into a relationship with God and he's just overwhelmed. And so he, he declares that if ever he has an opportunity to save somebody's life, he will. And, and so there, sure enough, um, there, there's some cannibals and they're, they're doing their thing. And one of the guys that is about to be taken alive just jets for it. He runs for it. And so Caruso grabs his guns and he runs to him. And he ends up saving the guy's life and he names the guy Friday. And he names the guy Friday. And they, they don't speak the same language. They don't, they, they, they're from different walks of life. But I want you to see this. Friday, when he is saved, is so overcome by his salvation that he pledges himself to Robinson Caruso. And in the only manner that he can see fit, he gets down on his face before him and he grabs Caruso's foot and he throws his foot on his head and he's just holding his foot on his head as if saying, you're my king, you're my master, I give my life to you. From now on, I will submit to your authority. Do you see it? Do you see it? True forgiveness. When you experience true reprieve, 
you know, when you trail it and say, that's the only right response, you have my life, you have a king, thank you, God, thank you, God. So I would challenge you this week, would you remember that? I think it will radically change your Christian walk. I think it will radically change the way you approach this thing that we call church. I pray that it will. Would you guys pray?